But we got a good text today. It's a complicated text today. I'm going I'm to warn you, I, it took a while for me uh, to really get this one nailed down. The topic is, is obvious. The theme of James 5 verses 13 through 18 is obvious because at least seven times he mentions the word prayer. So the theme of prayer just, just pops out of the pages, but there's some, some difficult things in these verses that I hope to study and help you understand as God has helped me to understand this past couple of weeks. I want to read it at large, verse 13 through 18, and then we'll jump in together. The Bible says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? That means happy. Well, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, talking about the sick person, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly, earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. The title of the message is simply this. It's one word. It's pray. Everybody say that with me. Say it again. There you go. That's the theme of this text. There was a a website online that I came across called Masterclass. Masterclass features instructional videos from people who they considered to have mastered their craft. So you can go on to masterclass.com and you can learn how to do just about anything from someone in that particular field who they consider to be good at it. For instance, if if you wanted to learn a jump shot, you can go watch a master class video of Steph Curry teaching you how to shoot. If you wanted to learn tennis, you can watch a video of Serena Williams. Or skateboarding, which I'm considering. You can be taught by Tony Hawk. If you wanted to improve your cooking, and guys, don't elbow your wife right now. But if you wanted to improve your cooking, they have a master class taught by Gordon Ramsay. They have a writing class by Malcolm Gladwell. A business class taught by the founder of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. This only touches the surface of what they offer. What makes Masterclass so impressive is that they have somehow gotten the best people in their field, in their opinion at least, to teach these classes. I don't know about you, but but if I want to learn something about a certain topic or trade, I want to learn it from the best. Well, in our text today, we're taught about the topic of prayer and we're being taught by a man who was known for prayer. According to historians, James had a nickname. Historians tell us that they called him Old Camel Knees. They called him by this name because they said that he spent so much time praying that he had developed calluses on his knees. I like what commentator Kent Hughes said about this. Just as a laborer's hands testify to his occupation... Or a runner's feet to his training, James's callous knees testified to a life of serious prayer. 
So we ought to listen to what he says, not only because he's the Lord's earthly brother, and not only because his writing is scripture, but because he walked his talk on his knees. So James, someone who seemingly mastered prayer, is going to teach us three things about prayer today. He's going to teach us when to pray. He's going to teach us how to pray. And he's going to teach us why we should pray. Let's start with when you should pray. We read where James gives three circumstances in our lives that call for prayer. First, he says to pray when you are afflicted. Pray when you are afflicted. Verse 13, ask that question. Are you afflicted? That word afflicted is a general word that just means, are you troubled? Are you having a hard time in life? Has life really gotten difficult lately? James says, if so, here's what you do. You pray. When you're frustrated at work, well, you pray. When you don't have enough money to pay your bills, you pray. When your friendships are turning sour, you pray. Where there's a difficulty in your family, you pray. When your child can't find a good friend at school, you pray. When your schedule is overwhelming you, you pray. When your car breaks down, you pray. When the offer on the house you wanted doesn't get accepted, you pray. Instead of complaining or or grumbling or getting bitter or lashing out at others or growing indifferent or discontent, we as God's people must pray. Ask God what his purposes are. Pray for insight. Pray for direction as to how to respond appropriately. Ask God with faith to use his power to change the circumstances if it be his will. When should you pray? When you're in trouble. When you're afflicted, when life is hard. James says, here's the second circumstance in which you should pray. Pray when you are happy. Verse 13, he asks another question. Is any merry? Is there anybody among you that's happy? Here's the response to happiness. Let them sing psalms. Of course, the psalms are prayers put to music. James is telling us to not just pray when life is bad, but to learn how to pray with thanksgiving when life is good. When you get a raise or a promotion at work. Well, pray. When you make the last payment on your vehicle, pray. When you pass that hard test at school, pray. When your child finally makes a good friend, pray. When your dental exam reveals no cavities, pray. When your marriage is as good as it's ever been, still pray. When your neighbor who owns the cat who keeps coming into your yard finally moves away, Or better yet, when the cat stops breathing, pray. And if it gets ran over, then praise the Lord. The bloodier the mess, the louder your song should be. Y'all with me today? It's in the word. The devil's a roaring cat. James is reminding us that we don't just pray when we need something from God. We pray after we've received something from God. We don't pray just to say, God, please. We pray to say, God, thank you. You think this would be a natural response of all Christians everywhere. They just praise God and pray when they're happy. But it's often not our default response. Even in good times, we we put things on Facebook when we're happy. 
We call and text our friends when we're happy. We go out to dinner and celebrate when we're happy. And none of those things are wrong. But how many of those things truly express gratitude to the one who has actually brought the blessing into your life? As Christians, we seem to be better at expressing our praise horizontally than we are vertically. Yet I believe the way we respond to the joys of life indicate whether or not we're more thrilled by the gift or the giver. James says, pray when you're afflicted. Pray when you're happy. He gives one more circumstance in which you should pray, or should I say when you should ask others to pray for you. I want to read verses 14 through 16 because this is where the text gets complicated. He said, is any sick among you? Here's what you do. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Here's a third circumstance in which you should pray. Pray when you are sick. This little section of the text requires some explanation and study together this morning because it's become the center uh, of debate in church history. Let's break it down and see if we can understand what James is telling us to do when we're sick. The first thing I think that a sick Christian ought to recognize is if their sickness is something serious enough to warrant special or specific prayer by the elders. As a disclaimer here, I think that a Christian should always feel comfortable asking their pastors to pray for them. I get texts on a weekly basis, Pastor, pray for me. I want you to know very clearly that is never a bother to me. I delight in those texts. I write them down instantly. Most of the time when I get those texts, I stop what I'm doing and I pray in the moment. But James seems to be talking here about something more serious. I don't want to demean common sicknesses, but I want to be clear. Should a Christian have strep throat or the stomach bug, they can ask for prayer, but probably shouldn't call the elders of the church to come to their living room, rub some oil on their throat or on their belly and offer a prayer of faith so they won't die. Right? Now, some of you think strep throat's going to kill you. I promise. I don't think it will. I'll pray for you, but I'm not going to rub oil on you. James is talking about situations here, I think, implied in the text where someone is seriously ill. He said this person needs to be raised up, needs to be saved or delivered from this, what seems to be a life altering, at least debilitating illness where they can't even go to the elders. They got to call the elders to come to them. The Greek word for sick means Weary, worn down, exhausted. It seems to picture an individual who can barely go on anymore because of this sickness or this disease. So if you face this kind of serious sickness and you recognize it's serious and life altering, you should consider calling the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Who are the elders? Well, it's who we call pastors. I I just asked Siri what the elders were and she told me she was wrong. I'm preaching. Unbelievable. We don't use the word elder. We use it synonymous with with the word pastors. And what you need to notice, and we don't need to be scared of, is that the word elders is plural. So it's referring to more than one pastor in a church, and that is all through the New Testament. Church of Antioch, church at Jerusalem, church at Philippi, church at Ephesus, all had a plurality of pastors. And that's how I view our pastoral staff as elders. 
I'd even heard me calling him occasionally by the name Pastor David. Pastor Tanner or Pastor Sid. That doesn't mean you have to call him that. But you can, and here's why. I'm not the only pastoral leader in our church. And I shouldn't be. I have the role of being the lead pastor and perhaps the primary preaching pastor. But I can't pastor this flock all by myself. Nor should I be the only one making decisions for this flock. That's dangerous. Because I get it wrong. A plurality of good qualified pastors is healthy for both the church and for me. Our pastoral staff should not be viewed as just hourly wage earners who do menial tasks that I don't have time to do because I'm doing the important stuff. Like some type of pastors in waiting. No, they are pastors. They are shepherds of a portion of the flock or a portion of the ministry that I entrust them to lead and guide and manage. So, so while I've been entrusted by Fellowship Baptist Church to be the lead pastor in terms of the direction and the overall leadership, our pastoral staff members are hired and entrusted to be an extension of my leadership to the church. And they should be viewed and treated by the church as such. This is who a seriously ill believer should call to come pray over them. The elders. Then James talks about the elders anointing the sick person with oil. What's this all about? Well, there are multiple options as to how to interpret this practice. It's really the only place in Scripture where this practice is mentioned in such detail. So we we have to consider all the options as we come to our own conclusions. One way to interpret this would be that the elders use the oil for medicinal purposes. If you study it, there were some oils in this day used as medicine. I don't personally believe that's what's happening here. I won't split hairs with you if that's what you believe, but I don't believe that's what's happening here because the elders weren't doctors. If a seriously ill person called elders to their bedside, it wasn't going to be probably for medical purposes. Specifically in this text, it's for spiritual purposes, primarily for prayer. Another way this verse has been interpreted is that the oil was sacramental. So Roman Catholics, for instance, believe in what is called extreme unction. Where the dying is anointed with oil for the purpose of removing any remnant of sin and strengthening their soul for dying. I I don't believe that's what James is talking about because the text makes it clear that this oil was used to promote healing, not ease dying. So I believe personally that the oil was a symbol. If you study the use of oil to anoint someone in scripture, it was generally used to set that person aside for God's purposes, to consecrate them to the Lord. We see that most often in the Old Testament when they anointed a king with oil. The same could be true with the symbolic use of oil in a sick person's life. The the elders are setting them and their illness aside. They're consecrating the sick believer to the Lord for healing. It's, It's a clear symbol to the sick person and to the praying elders that they are fully dependent on God to take care of this individual. Now, with that being said, it's important to recognize that James didn't tell us exactly what the oil represented or symbolized exactly. Here's what that means for us Bible believers. None of us should be dogmatic as to what we think it means. He doesn't tell us. Here's what we know. We aren't bound to do this every time somebody gets seriously ill. I say that because there are many times, most times in scripture, where people are healed of sickness without ever being anointed with oil. That means it doesn't have to be normative in a church, but it is certainly allowable in a church. Normative things should be like communion. And baptism. 
This is what the, the, the word of God clearly commands us to do. But that's, that's not the case with this symbolic prayer and this anointing of oil. But I'm certainly not opposed to doing this if and when the Lord would lead. It's just fine. But there's more to this idea of praying for the sick. Are you still with me? James teaches us in verse 15 how the elders should pray if they want their prayers to be effective. He says the elders should pray with what? Faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Some get in trouble because because they interpret this verse as, as this. If you pray with the right degree of faith or the amount of faith, then he, God, is obligated to do what you asked him to do. He will heal the sick if you have faith. And if he chooses to not heal the sick, it wasn't his fault. It was your fault for not having enough faith. Some take that from the text and I don't think that's a good interpretation. I think that the elders or pastors ought to pray over the sick, believing in their heart that if it's God's will to heal this person, he can do it. And he will do it. But he's not obligated to do it. And if he doesn't do it, that doesn't mean that we lacked faith when we prayed. There's an important phrase at the end of verse 14 that says when we pray for the sick and anoint them with oil, what do we do? We do it in the name of the Lord. In other words, Lord, if it be your will, we know you can bring healing. We're placing our faith not just in your ability. We're placing our faith in your sovereign control of this person's body. But James isn't done yet. He adds another element to this prayer. And it involves the responsibility of the one who is sick. He says that the person who is ill, who's in need of prayer, should not just ask God to heal their body. He says the sick person ought to ask God to forgive their sin. So the implication here is that it's possible, I would say probably not likely, but possible, for someone to be seriously ill as a result of their sin. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean that all or even most illness is brought about because somebody is doing something wrong. Because we see like Job, who, who, who my dad preached about last week. He was a man that hated evil. He feared God. He worshiped God in the good times and bad times. And, and that trial that was brought on his life, that illness on his body was brought because God allowed it to be there, not because of Job's behavior. The apostle Paul, who was probably the greatest ministry uh, church planner or missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. Got some type of debilitating ailment, some type of thorn in the flesh, as he called it, that he begged God to remove and God wouldn't. And it wasn't because he was an unrighteous man. Yet we, we go to the book of Corinthians and we see how the, the believers in the church of Corinth were taking communion while at the same time living in unconfessed sin. While at the same time getting drunk while taking communion. And what did God do to those believers? He caused them to be sick. Some of them even died. So so that means there's a possibility that illness is the result of God chastising sin. Which means this, the person who is seriously ill would be wise to use their illness as an occasion to search their own heart and their walk with the Lord. Should they desire healing of their body, but not desire holiness in their life? That's a good chance their prayer for healing will not be answered. Because it's possible their root problem is not their illness, but their sin. To sum up what James is saying, should a believer become seriously ill, they could request from the elders of the church to have a time of special prayer 
for them. Should the pastors feel led by the Lord to include the symbolic anointing of oil with the prayer of faith, they should do so in desire to to symbolize their dependence and the sick person's dependence upon God for divine healing, should it be in his sovereign will to do so. Does everybody understand? I did my best to explain it. You can tell me where I got it wrong after the sermon. Here's the bottom line. You should pray when you're afflicted. You should pray when you're happy. And you should pray when you're sick. The rest of the sermon goes quick. How should we pray? Look at the end of verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He tells us we should pray in two ways. Number one, you should pray righteously. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It's important to understand, watch here, that a righteous person doesn't mean a super saint. Doesn't mean an elder or a pastor or a deacon or a missionary. A righteous person means someone who is simply in right standing with God. What does that mean? Well, it means first of all that the person is saved. They're forgiven of their sin. If you want your prayers to be effective, you first need to be made right with God through Christ in salvation. But it also means living a righteous life. The psalmist said this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. A righteous person is, of course, not someone who is sinlessly perfect, but someone who is simply walking with God, caring about what God cares about, trying their best to honor and glorify and obey him, confessing and repenting and fighting off their sin. It's, it's not, if that's not the way in which you're living, listen, you shouldn't expect for your prayers to be very effective. You don't have to be perfect. You need to be saved. If you want your prayers to be effective, you need to be walking with the Lord. Then James says this, pray fervently. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Pray with persistence. Pray with urgency. Pray with energy. Pray with faith. Pray with regularity. Jesus speaks of this in several parables in the Gospels. He, he taught his disciples to ask and then seek and then knock. And the idea was that his disciples would pray and then they would pray again and then they would pray again and then they would pray again. They would ask and they'd ask again and ask again and ask again. They would knock and they would knock again and they would knock again until God answers. The best part about those parables is that Jesus taught that God unlike a grumpy parent, actually delights in the continual, fervent, asking, seeking, and knocking of his children. My son asks for the same thing twice, he gets on my nerves. But not our Heavenly Father. He loves it. I believe one of the most common reasons for people not getting their prayers answered is because they don't persist in fervent prayer. They give a token prayer or two, but nothing fervent. They ask everyone around them to pray for them, but they never pray consistently for themselves. Many people just quit too early because they get impatient with the Lord. Can I encourage you today? Keep on praying. Hey, you keep praying for healing in your body if that's what you need today. Keep praying for your marriage to be restored. Keep praying for your son or daughter to come back to church. Keep praying for your fan, friend or, or family member or, 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 or co-worker to get saved. Keep praying for God to bless your business. Keep praying for God to reconcile that relationship that you lost. Don't stop praying. Pray fervently. Pray righteously. That's how you should pray. And you should pray that way when you're afflicted. You should pray that way when you're happy. You should pray that way when you're sick. And then notice how James closes the text. I love this point. Look at the end of verse 16 again. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Why should you pray? Here's why. Because prayer works. It's that simple. 
It works. So James goes on in, in verse 17 and 18. We read it earlier. And he uses the example of the Old Testament prophet Elijah to prove that prayer is powerful and it's effective. It, it accomplishes much. He said Elijah prayed earnestly and fervently that it wouldn't rain. And his prayer worked. Then he prayed again three and a half years later that it would start raining And it started raining. His prayer worked. Unless you think, church, that that Elijah is in a separate, more special category of prayer warriors because he was an Old Testament prophet. James says this at the start of verse 17. Elijah was a man subject to light passions as we are. Let this encourage you. Elijah faced loneliness like we do. He isolated himself when he was discouraged like we tend to do. He got scared and tried to run from his fears like we do. He got deeply depressed and even suicidal like we do. He doubted God like we do. He got angry like we do. He exaggerated his problems like we do. He was just an ordinary sinner like us, but he was a righteous man who tried his best to serve God. He prayed with a sense of fervency and and persistence and faith, and his prayers were powerfully effective. Pastor, why should I pray? It's simple. Because prayer gets the job done. Preparation for the closing of the message. I I reached out on Facebook to solicit some testimonies of how God has answered prayer in people's lives. There's way too many to mention. There's well over 30 people that responded. I was very encouraged. I'll I'll give you some of those as we close today. And I, I think these will stir your faith. I think these will bring excitement to your heart if, if answered prayer at least excites you. One person said, we prayed for the salvation of our children. So far, we have seen three of our kids come to Christ as their Savior. <clears throat> There's nothing sweeter than, than seeing your child understand the gospel and trust it for their eternity. I love it. We prayed for God to make it abundantly clear that we should start a business, one person said. Then he provided a building for us to purchase. Love when he does that. One person said, the Lord heard and answered my prayers by bringing me through three cancer surgeries to be able to raise my daughter and now enjoy my grandkids with my husband. By the way, he does still heal. He does. One person said, for a season, my sister started to walk away from the Lord. She was openly pursuing a lifestyle that contradicted God's word. She's a believer, but she shut herself off to the truth. So my family and I started praying for her. And after about seven months, my sister repented of her sin and started pursuing God again. Love that. One of the church planners that we support with our missions funds here, he started a church in Boulder, Colorado. Mark Martinez is his name. He chimed in. He said on deputation, he was raising money to go plant a church. He said, we prayed for 75% financial support by the end of 2020. He said, we received a call on New Year's Eve that put us right at 75%. For six months, he said, we prayed for God to give us 20 people to minister to in our little church by our first anniversary. As of that Sunday, we have 20 people we are ministering to on a regular basis. My Aunt Joyce, who lives in Edmond, said this. Many years ago at my former church, we were singing Standing on the Promises of God. Our song leader stopped and asked if anyone had a promise they were standing on. She raised her hand and said, I don't know when, where, or how, but I'm standing on God's promises that one day I will see my husband saved. And that happened five years ago right here at Fellowship Baptist Church on Easter Sunday. A lady in our church said, when my son was three, he was scheduled to get his tonsils taken out, but he had a fever, so they postponed it. Our Christian doctor asked if he could pray over him. Of course, I said yes. After that, my son didn't have any more issues with his throat for 30 years. 
Somebody sign me up for that doctor. A ministry friend of mine in Florida said, and this is normal, but God cares about little things too. He said, today was our last day of VBS. We had bounce houses ordered and set up, but the forecast didn't look promising. So we went around to every bounce house and prayed over them so that the kids could enjoy the end of vacation Bible school at the carnival. And God held the rain. Elijah's not the only one that has a way with water. A missionary friend of mine said, our family stopped by Yellowstone National Park for a day in peak season, mid-July. We had a two-hour drive in and out, and we prayed for three things that day. To see wildlife, to see Old Faithful go off, and for good parking. He said, a buffalo walked along the side of the road with us as we entered the main area. Prayer number one answered. We prayed for a good spot as we got near one of the more popular stops. And before I said amen, a car pulled out of one of the three closest non-handicapped spots. Prayer number two answered. Then he said, Old Faithful went off an hour and a half late after we had sat watching for 30 minutes. He cares about the small things. Several couples testified. One said, we prayed for many years for the Lord to bless us with children. Little do we know that God had three precious, precious kids waiting for us to adopt. Another couple said, God gave them a child after 11 years of praying. Another parent said they were struggling with fertility. So they started praying and they had quadruplets. Another mom said the doctor told her it was a slim possibility to ever have children. And they've had two since. A teacher in our church said, I have a specific student that I prayed for throughout much of the first semester of the school year this year. I prayed that he would catch a burden and a desire to attend church. He started riding our bus in February and hasn't missed many services since. He even makes sure his siblings attend. A preacher friend of mine in New York wrote this. When I had COVID in August 2020, I developed blood clots in my lungs. The meds I needed Eliquis were $600 a month and I have no prescription coverage with my insurance. I was supposed to take them for six months. The hospital had a coupon for one month free, so I I was going to have to cover five months somehow. 22 weeks worth, about $3,000. We prayed a couple days about how we would afford this and then I had a relative text me who knew about my condition. She works for a doctor's office and asked me what the name of my medication was. I told her. And she said, let me check with my boss, the doctor, who's a Christian, and see if we have any samples of that in our office. She asked the doctor, which the doctor replied, oh, no, that's really expensive. We we rarely carry any samples of that. But feel free to check the sample cabinet and then send John whatever we have. Here's the amazing part. When she checked the cabinet, they had exactly 22 one-week samples of Eloquist. Not 21, not 23, 22. Exactly five months worth in their sample cabinet. His relatives started crying and the doctor was dumbfounded. Can I give you one more? It comes from a friend in Oklahoma City, a single mom. She said, an unwanted divorce forced me to become a single mom. I prayed 10 years ago that God would give me complete direction and wisdom raising a six-year-old and an 11-year-old. I bargained with God, made promises with God, and suggested many different outcomes to God. However, the most important aspect of these last 10 years has been earnestly praying to the Lord on behalf of my two kids. I ask for divine help keeping these two in church and plugged into the youth group. Guidance from God for loving Him and a genuine devotion to serve others. She said, I can say with confidence that earnest prayer made the difference between wayward children and children that now love the Lord in spite of my marriage failure. God is good, she said, faithful and true. You get the point. Prayer gets the job done. 
Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. It changes things. It changes people. It changes you. That's why the message is so simple. Pray. Just pray. And then what I do, pastor? You pray again. And then what? Pray again. And you ask again and you seek again and you knock again. You pray, pray, pray. Pray when you're afflicted. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sick. Pray fervently and pray righteously. Then sit back and watch how God will respond powerfully to your prayer in His perfect time according to His sovereign will. Because prayer works. Have you stopped praying today? For whatever reason. You don't believe it works? You just have stopped the discipline in your life. You're upset at God for giving you the answer you didn't ask for. If you've stopped praying today for something that only God can touch. Then here's the message. Start praying again. And pray again. And pray again. Stand to your feet every head back.